Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint, and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You've got it, international teaching. Welcome to the show. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, domestic teachers, international teachers, do not adjust your dials. This is the International Teacher Podcast, and joining you is Greg in Naples, the single guy, Kent, the cat guy, and J.P. Mint, and I am the long-lost Matt, the family guy, and welcome to the International Teacher Podcast. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Happy, happy New Year. Good to be here. So what are we going to talk about today, Matt? Well, there's a few different things that I think we need to discuss. I think we need to uh, talk a little bit about engaging those potential new job searches as we begin the new year, because I got to tell you, Greg, uh, those people that are listening, that are hunting for jobs, uh, this this thing is over by a long shot. In fact, it's just heating up, so... I think we need to have a good discussion about that. What about the rest of you? What, what else should we cover? I agree with you, Matt. I think this is like the pregame, right? You guys, it's like the pregame. It's not even, it's preseason, right? Preseason's over. We're just getting warmed up. It sounds like a football <laughs> match, right? So anyway, no, I, I agree with you. We need to hit those a lot. I think people are reaching out and asking JP a lot of questions. We can ask, maybe hit some of your questions, JP, that you're getting from yours. Uh, we have a couple listeners that have reached out to us also. We'll mention them later on in the show. I think um, that would be Kent, your mom and dad, and they are standing <laughs> behind you, I believe. No, mom and dad won't come on they, the show. My, they would like to plug their devices into the modem. <laughs> My dad's like, it wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you asked him to come on. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, I told him to put on clothes first. Like father, like son. <laughs> <laughs> JP, what do you want to talk about? Well, I I thought this might be the New Year's show, talking about New Year's celebrations around the world that we've all experienced in our uh, vast traveling experience. And so I kind of sat down with my mom, who's visiting from Canada here in Mexico, and she reminded me of some of them, and she was part of him. So I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. Yeah, I forgot about that place, and I forgot about that place. So I made a quick little list of some interesting New Year's stories, if we have time for that. I would like to remind our listeners that Greg Lemoyne has written a second book, and I'm going to try to get the title right this time. I believe it's called International Education, The Best Kept Secret. Did I get that right? By no. <laughs> international <laughs> teaching, international teaching, teaching the best, the kept, best kept secret, secret by in Gregory education. Lemoyne, the best kept secret in education by Gregory Lemoyne, MD. Oh, <laughs> oh no, MA. I would like to just say a few words if we have time, letting our listeners know about this wonderful book that's available too our listeners. So we have a whole show to wrap up here. This is going to be great for the new year. We've got good four topics to go after. Let's start talking about those jobs that are out there, right? Matt was saying that these teachers are listening in 
and they've seen some of these job fairs have already gone. Some of the job fairs have already disappeared. They're successful. Their teachers are posting on where they're going to go, what country they're going to for ISS or the AMSA, the, the South American schools that went together with ISS in Atlanta. That's over now. And those early job fairs, you know, it gives you the creep sort of like, oh, man, I'm so late. There's no more jobs left. Those jobs, job fairs are over. But they're not. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of search going on. If you're in search associates. Uh, Oklahoma, did we lose? Matt, are you with us? Yeah, I'm still here. (laughs) Okay, Uh, we lost your, I lost your visual. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. hiding. Okay. I'm actually just, I'm just going through the the search schedules. Um, Oh, okay. All right. All right. Sorry, Greg. I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry about that. Yes. Yeah, Ken, he's our research team. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep it all right here. Don't forget one of your favorites, Greg. The University of Northern Iowa is the end of January this year, and it's still free after COVID or during COVID. They went free and virtual. And it's still free for candidates. So that's kind of exciting for anyone that is considering a move international for the first time. That is a really good job fair for anyone with some teaching experience domestically, but not internationally. And then anyone who does have international experience and shows up there, they roll out the red carpet for sure. Oh, man. And Matt will join in on this, too, because I know, Kent, you didn't go to the UNI fair. But I know that Matt got his current job or his wife's current job. They got theirs at yeah. UNI. And both I of them. had also, yeah, you got, both of you got a job at UNI with experience yeah. from Venezuela. Yeah, absolutely. And Matt, did you feel like you were one of those sought after candidates because of that experience that you'd already had overseas? When we initially went overseas and finished our five years in Venezuela, that's um, the second time around. That was a huge letter writing campaign that started in the beginning of September on up until the week before we went. That, I'm not sure if I said this last time or not. We literally heard nothing from anybody and had no idea if people were even interested in talking to us. And we just said, well, let's roll the dice. I mean, worst case scenario, we move home. And when you get there, they give you a, a folder at the, the beginning where it has all the prospective interviews lined up. Uh, or people that are interested in interviewing you. And we cracked the folder, and there was more people than we could uh, reach out to that had, had had been interested in interviewing us. So I just tell people to stay calm and maybe save your letter writing. And after talking to a lot of school heads, I found that a lot of that research doesn't even take place until a short time prior to the actual job fair itself. And, and so, that job you know, fair was the end of January as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, end of January, first week of uh, mm-hmm. right around uh, February as well. So there was no shortage of people who were interested once you actually get there. I mean, what that's the point of the job fair is to bring those people together and to bring those those teams together and connect. And you've got some schools that do a ton of hiring online, but each school has its own different processes. I, I got to be honest, if I'm moving overseas and going out of the country, I want to meet these people face to face. I mean, I'd be happy to interview in person, but then when it comes down to it, let's meet at the job fair and make that happen. So definitely when you get to the job fair, you're, you're going to see much more opportunities to connect there. And Greg, your experience recently was doing a little bit of legwork before the job fair. Uh, at GRC. Wasn't that right? 
I did legwork before every job fair, right? You have to go. And the GRCs are over this season already for the season, right? But like we're talking about you and I, if you're leading up to you and I, I didn't even find out about you and I until two or three days before Christmas. And, and that was back in 2000. Like I didn't know anything about you and I. There were no books. There's nothing out there. Somebody mentioned to me at a, at a cocktail party. And I said, wow. So I signed up for you and I with no experience. In fact, no teaching experience. I was still a student teacher and it was for beginners. It really was. I mean, some of those schools are looking for first time hires and others are looking for two years experience of teaching, but never overseas. They're all looking for seasoned overseas. So some of you will see a maybe 10% of that job fair historically is usually other teachers coming from international spots looking for their next spot, like Stacy and Matt did. Otherwise, you're going to see lots of teachers who have never been overseas. The UNI, the University of Northern Iowa Job Fair, is fantastic situation. It's three brutal days. It's a weekend. But you fly in, stay at the nearest hotel. If you can't get into the Holiday and I think that's on there, just get somewhere close. But you're in the middle of nowhere. It is Make right your thermal back. underwear purchase beforehand, mm. folks. You're, you're yeah, in the absolutely. vast wastelands of Central America in the wintertime. And there's cornfields that are all cut all around you. It's just a uh, bizarre just, episode. I, I believe that would be North America, just for the record. Central North America, maybe? <laughs> Did I say South America? You no, said you said Central, 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 Central America. And I got confused. I'm like, is this in Costa Rica all of a sudden? For our listeners, I haven't had beer in a long time, but I had one for breakfast this morning. And it turned my Central America into... Not just the states, but down to another set of countries. Uh, Behold the the rolling. Are, are we all oh invited to the party that you're at? <laughs> the satellite campus of University of Northern Iowa in Costa Rica. That would be nice. Yeah, we don't need your long underwear. It's right in the middle of Iowa, and when you get there, and depending on the weather, of course, some years it's just snowed in, but. You're flying into Iowa. The airport's so small, but people are coming from Kazakhstan and Russia and from Bangladesh, from you know Malawi, from South Africa, everywhere. From you Indiana, can I mean, some weird even, places. Even Indiana <laughs> and Chicago, believe it or not. But yeah, I think that that job fair is fantastic, and people that haven't even signed up for it yet. If you're listening to this podcast and you are near anywhere near Iowa, I would go. I would go and get the experience, you know, read, yeah. read my first book, go look it up online, whatever you have to do to, why are you pointing www.amazon.com or wherever you buy your finer books, finding the right fit. Gregory Lemoyne. M-A. Yeah. That really hits those job fairs, specifically what happens in during the job fair. That is an amazing job fair to go to. I went there the first time. It's, it's basically in three days, you've got a job overseas if you don't, there's other job fairs following. I well, I was going to say more. for any any Canadians in the group or anyone uh, close close to Kingston, Ontario, that was my first job fair, Queen's Overseas Teaching Recruitment Fair, TORF, which is kind of a funny <laughs> It just rolls acronym. off the tongue. It just Torf. rolls off the tongue. <laughs> TORF, the Overseas Recruitment Fair. And when I went there in 2001, there were... I want to say hundreds, but I guess probably a hundred schools in the main auditorium, just very much like any, I think any of the other job fairs, they're all set up at tables. 
They have the uh, craft paper behind them with all the jobs listed. And then slowly you're seeing like ink going through the scratched out. We don't, we've got that person. We've got that person. And you line up at the various desks. You have sort of a game plan when they open up. You go in and you try and uh, line up at the schools you want to interview with. At that particular job fair in 2001, I had three interviews and two offers. And it was very exciting to go to all the presentations learn about the schools. Um, so any Canadians out there, uh, that is, I believe if it's not free, it's very affordable. And Kingston is a lovely little university town with Queens being one of our quote unquote Ivy League schools. So I would recommend that for any Canadian teacher. The year I was there, there was a couple that flew in from BC for that job fair, and they had any number of offers at that particular job. Excellent. Kent, what did what yeah. kind of experience do you have with job fairs? Well, my first job fair was actually a QSI. And Ooh. QSI was in Seattle. I'm a West Coast person, so I wasn't likely to, to go to Iowa, even though I'm sure a lot of people did. I also had ISS. San Francisco and Seattle, uh, San Francisco that year, eh, Seattle, they came to Seattle that year. I was signed up to go to it, but I went to meet with QSI individually, quality schools, quality international, schools international. Sorry well, if that. you read your second book, you can learn a little bit about them. I'll tell you about your book later <laughs> I'll on. So my first job fair was with QSI and they're very flexible. So, you know, just a tip, if you're looking to sign up with QSI, they're a great organization to get your foot in the door. Treat can, really can nice. you tell us a yeah. little bit about what that job fair looks like? Over the years, I've seen these tiny little schools yes. mm-hmm. advertising, right? And then, but when you're supposed to apply, yep. I think you're generically, it, you just have to apply to each one individually. Is that uh, right? No, or, or... You, uh, well, the way we did it is that you, <laughs> a lot of times you interviewed and then they would give you one of the choices that maybe you asked for. So I worked with a whole bunch of people that never picked the country that we were all in together. So ah. it's, uh, you know, they'll, they'll work with you and they'll negotiate with you, but there's no guarantee when they take you on that you're going to go to the one city that maybe you were hoping for. They have 20, 30 cities on their list and sometimes they they move people around. So it's kind of like a, a funnel system where they take all the candidates and then they pick and choose where the best candidate goes to the school. And the fit too, that's absolutely mm-hmm. correct. And there okay. are some locations that are not as popular as others and that's probably where you'll start your career. Uh, with QSI, particularly if you're a younger, newer teacher. But I will say, you know, you're going to get your experience. You're going to be teaching students. You're going to have curriculum and materials. You're going to have resources, and they're going to pay you on time. And you're going to be living the international teaching lifestyle. So for those of you who are fairly new to the game, uh, don't give up. And, you know, reach out to QSI. They might even make a special visit to your city to sit down with you if you feel needs that they're interested in. Um, QSI also goes to the major job fairs. That's they correct. They will send one or two superintendents, but they'll give you a menu of schools. Like you'll stand <laughs> in line for QSI and they'll hand you a menu of their schools. The last one I talked about was Kazakhstan. He's you know, the woman was like, well, what are you interested in? I said, you have positions for elementary in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, and you had one down here and one over here, uh, multiple places. And I said, well, I'd like to sit down and talk to you about this one and this one. And she's like, okay, we can go from there. We have other opportunities. So if they choose to interview with you, it's sort of a, they give you that, like I said, it's like getting a menu when you stand in line. 
and you have a chance to think about it and there's always options. So it's a, it's a, it's a very big operation. Like Kent has said, they have very small starter schools, but they have schools that have been around for a long time. The, I guess my point is QSI does show up in a smaller form at other job fairs besides their own. Right? That's correct. One thing I wanted to just shed some light on too is is not is not, <clears throat> not being so hyper focused on where you're going to end up. I mean, this is this is a game. It's almost like the NFL draft. You know, these teams select a player, and there's no legitimate chance that this guy's going to work out or not. Schools are kind of the same way. You you walk into this fair thinking, okay, this is the place I'm going. These are my two options. If I don't get these, that's it. And I hate to see somebody pass up an experience just because they're so hyper-focused on one particular area. I mean, the best piece of advice I can give, go in with an open mind and see what see every single potential option or offer there is. I mean, I've spent 15 years overseas now living in a couple of different places where I legitimately said, I will. It'll be a cold day, you know where, before I live in certain places. Well, guess what? I checked off two of those boxes, and now I've lived there. I don't regret a second of it. And so I encourage people, stay. Don't be so so focused on where you want to go that you end up missing out on where you're supposed to go. And it's a big world. There's a lot of opportunity out there. And I just hate to see somebody miss out on an adventure because they got their blinders on. Um, there's a lot of amazing people and opportunities. How many times have you heard people say, well, I'm, I'm only interested in Europe, right? Mm. How many times have you heard that? And, mm. and yet they are hyper-focused on Europe only. They're going to be missing all kinds of opportunities to, mm. to further in their career. I mean, you can move up quite easily within the international system, starting off as a teacher, head of department, assistant principal, IB coordinator, what have you, you know, within the same school system, like within the same school, if you're not focused on region, you can be focused on your career path and PD that's offered as well. Yes. Like this morning I was reading on Reddit, the international schools uh, subreddit, and there's so many candidates out there looking for Europe only. And then you mm. see all the other more experienced teachers saying, you know, have you really thought about that? Because they don't provide housing. They don't provide flights. You get taxed. Like this is this is not the best option if you're looking to save money or move up in the organization. JP, we could almost do an entire episode on the kind of strategy people want to consider or walk themselves through dependent on? Is it money? Is it location? Is it career? I think that might be a future episode we might have to tackle because, yeah, yeah, you said it. I want Europe, and then they don't realize, well, what if you're, what if you're able to accept something that's on the outskirts of Europe that's going to pay you more, that's going to allow you to vacation wherever you want in Europe? Because if you're working in Europe, you're not going to have the money to vacation like you think you want to. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, like when I was in Turkey, how many times did I go to Europe for vacation? Because I was making the tax-free dollars, the housing was paid for, my utilities were paid for because I was on campus. So all my money was going to entertainment and travel. And so I was on that. And then there was a, a new airport that had just opened up, Sabia Gökçen, mm -hmm. 
on the Asian side of Europe, uh, Istanbul. And I was flying on German wings to Frankfurt, Dusseldorf, München, you know, all the time because I could afford it and yeah. uh, still getting all those European vacations, but without getting taxed. And there are also issues with visas, right? As Canadians and Americans, we don't necessarily get into those European schools quite easily because some of them are looking for European citizens for the work visa. I think it's like any profession. If you could be a doctor, but you're not going to be at the top hospital in the world, your first job, you could be even a great lawyer, but you're not going to be at the most high powered law firm, your first couple years of work. I think teaching international teaching is sort of similar. You, you know, you put a little bit of time and effort and work in and it pays off. Like any, yeah, like any position that's... So let's talk about timeline then, because Kent, you were mentioning that January is coming up, or by the time this gets published, it will be January. Is it over for candidates? Do they just need to pack up and say, well, I guess I'll try again next September? Not in my experience. My timeline is I did not hear from the school that hired me until almost the very last day of December. So like in the next three or four days, and we're talking 10 years ago now, is the very first email I got from the school. And they said, we might be interested in you. We're interested in talking further. And so a couple of weeks later in January was the first time we got online and talked to each other. And then there was a couple of more interviews that stretched into the middle of February. They didn't start calling my references until February. The deal wasn't sealed until well into March. And so there is... You know, I don't think my timeline is is that unique. You know, maybe you could say middle of March is a little bit late now compared to ten years ago, but it didn't even like it didn't even start until the change of the year for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I look at my own experience. I got hired as a principal in March, so uh, for the country that I'm in right now. So I just think. Really, the whole year plan of I'm going to get hired by the break in December, it's out the window. There are any number of opportunities at some great schools because people will give late notice. You know, they might have um, family commitments that suddenly make them say, you know what, that letter of intent in October that I signed, I got to take that back because I need to head home. And then those openings start happening. But job fairs will perpetually always have more job openings because as people are saying yes to some other school, then like, Greg, did you not have, you had an offer in your back pocket when you went to your last couple of job fairs. So if you had actually said yes to one of the jobs at the job fairs, then your position would be open suddenly. Right. And the the key is to be, even at the job fairs, but no matter what, if you get an offer from a school that you're not interested in or very low on the to- on your list, you still want to keep that bridge open. Be honest and trans and transparent with that school and say, you know what, it's just too early for me to make a decision. I have a couple more options I'm waiting to hear back from, but I do need to decline right now. If you're asking me right now for that and you're offering me with a, give me a timeline right, is what I usually say. Can I have a timeline to make my decision? And if that timeline comes up and I'm still waiting to hear back from that other school, then I will say, I'm sorry, I can't accept, but I really appreciate it. Even if you get to that point, don't shut the door. 
send a thank you note, tell them how much you appreciated all of that. Because if you're waiting for a very specific job that you really, really, really want, and you're willing to wait, then wait them out and see what you can do. Because for example, Europe does not hand out job offers until April sometimes. Even into May, I've seen people accepting jobs. Here's another scenario. If that's not bad enough or great enough in, in some respects, if I'm looking at a, at a position at a school in South America, for example, and they say, say, oh, we just filled the position, right? But they might get back in touch with me in May and say, by the way, our job is now open because we moved them to a different position and we need to fill that position. Are you still interested? So it's a tough game. It's like Matt said, we're all free agents and the team, the team roster, if you will, the teachers, sometimes they move them the puzzle pieces around and they might promote a teacher from within and move them into admin. That leaves open that position that they they had filled that you're looking for. Keep your options open and keep your connections, your bridges all clear and be transparent with the schools. So I, there's nothing but hope, I think you could say. They're hiring all year long. Yeah, on that crazy. note, JP Mint and Matt, help me out here for a minute. I, I have sort of a, a theory that I play around with a little bit, and that is that as we get a little bit later in the process, January, February, March, April, it feels like there's a little bit more seriousness and a little bit more urgency for both sides in the process. That if they're talking to you in February and March, they're pretty serious about you. They're not just sort of dancing with you. They're probably, if everyone everything goes smoothly, they're probably looking to hire you. Do you think that's fair as we sort of, the recruiting season sort of moves along? Does that feel fair to you, JP Mint? Yeah, absolutely. I think if they're um, if they're reaching out to you in February and March, most of the the big job fairs have happened, and now their pool of candidates has shrunk because a lot of people have taken offers elsewhere. And so, if they're reaching out to you at that point, then balls in your court. You know, you can now start to feel uh, pretty secure in that interview process. What do you think, Matt? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, especially once February's done. I mean, if a school's talking to you, it's because they have a definite need or maybe an opening, a last minute uh, unforeseen opening popped up and they have something that needs to be filled. I mean, I have worked in international school systems, as I know Greg said, Ken said, and I believe you said, where they hired all year, where they're literally bringing in people. Maybe it's a, you know, for whatever reason, positions open up. And I guess maybe I'm a little more optimistic. I don't ever see that hiring window close. I never have. And if you know where to look, the jobs are there. You just have to be able to know, well, where do we find that? And how do I make myself available? So there's always something. That door never shuts. Last summer, I had a client uh, accept an offer. She got the offer in June and she moved at the end of July. Uh, within about a month, a month and a half to a school. So, I mean, if you're that flexible, it even happens, you know, during the summer. Yeah. I mean, if you're ready to go, I mean, if, if this is something you think you're interested in in February and it gets to April, May, June, you, you if you're still interested, be ready to jump because those spots are open for a reason and be ready. Mm-hmm. And if you can clear out in a month or two, well, there you go. You've got your position. I always wonder about who is out there for 
an advocate for a resource for people like this who are maybe first timers or, hey, do I take this job? Is this something worth, um, is this worth my time? I, w I wonder, have, have we ever openly encouraged people who are in these positions to, hey, reach out and, and touch base with us? We'd be, we'd be happy to help you sort through it if you need to. Or is this kind of your thing, JP, what, what you do also? Well, th this is part of the reason why I started this, um, this consultancy is because I wish yeah. I had somebody like me available, um, with a lot of time on my hands, you know? So if I had somebody that had 20 years of experience and any number of schools and countries behind them, um, access to that person to just say, am I, am I wrong in thinking it's over or, uh, you know, so I've got a number of clients reaching out to me this, this week saying, That's awesome. I'm really, I'm really disappointed, you know, and I'm, I'm their private cheerleader just saying you can do it. Just keep having faith that you will find the right school. You do not need to, uh, accept the first offer and, uh, and, and make sure that it is the right fit. Right. Kent. Well, I tell you what, JP, you can't accept an offer and then renege on it and then change your mind. That is not something that's possible. If these schools give you an offer, it's a contract by word of mouth. It's even if you haven't signed off on it, if somebody you get into a yeah. video interview and they make you an offer and you say, yes, I accept. That's just as good as making a handshake in the old days. It's a handshake. It's just like signing the dotted line. So a verbal contract, if I'm not mistaken, that's how job fairs work. Maybe it's different online. I'm not sure how it works online. Absolutely. Yeah. Email, email, or, uh, as you say, in an interview situation, whether it be virtual or in person, you know, there's nothing more serious than saying yes. And then following through because We've all heard stories about people getting blackballed from the international circuit because they've come back on their word. Um, I don't know how how realistic that is still these days. I mean, yes, the world and the circuit is very small, but it's also infinitely huge. And I don't know if everybody is talking to everybody, but why risk it? Why risk it for, yeah, why risk it for, a possibility down the road, like, oh, you know, I said yes, but now this other, because that new school, if that new school is coming at you with a, a better offer, and then they hear that you've reneged on another offer, they might be pulling the, your new offer. And so I just don't think so it's be a careful. Kind of worth the risk. Offers if you're not careful. You know, more and more within the digital age, are they asking people to sign i mean i signed an actual paper uh it, when i verbally committed it, the time between the verbal commitment and actually signing the paper was a matter of minutes hours uh, or even days at most is that it's still a thing to sign a contract because that's where all of the fine lines are that's where all the fine print is and you have to go through it and the verbal contract is basically they're sending you the contract but you're going to have to sign it at some point but it's not going to be simultaneous. Well, let's just be clear. It might not be an actual contract yet. It's a letter of offer. Mm -hmm. So what I'm seeing, That's what right. I'm seeing these days is that you are signing a letter of offer, which has your benefits, your salary. Oftentimes it's even like a schedule A, schedule B situation, schedule A being the foreign benefits. And then schedule B is some other benefits that, that everybody gets. 
but then you will you may not even sign or see a contract until you get into the country so a letter of offer is what we're talking about like signing a letter of offer accepting a job offer in an email is well as we say legally binding like we really want to encourage our listeners to not do that which goes back to your point of being careful not to take the first offer because it's not like you can just take it and wishy-washy and then change your mind you can't accept one and a better one comes along so be careful about your the way you're playing the game as a free agent you're saying here's an offer on the table and i'm not just gonna take it because i'm afraid that all the other jobs are taken away right don't just take one because you feel pressure being a fellow mouth breather uh that's just uh, one of my traits one of the things I would tell people too is when you get when you get an offer, it doesn't mean you need to take it. Uh, for for example, you may have you get an offer, but you're still interested in talking to a couple of schools. Be transparent about that and and let this the offering school know. Listen, I'm definitely interested in you guys. Um, I'm still talking to a couple others. This is the nature of our conversations, and I'm always of the of the the sound mind that if you're open, you're honest, you're transparent, that goes a long way. And it says a lot about you in in character as a person, you know, nobody's no school worth working for is out to manipulate or is out to take advantage of you. And I think they appreciate that as well. And, um, you know, in, in both of our job fairs where we were hired, we, that was a situation that said, listen, we're really interested. Um, we still have a couple schools to talk to um, who expressed interest also. You know, can we touch base at, say, this time or this time or tomorrow morning? And, and any school that was worth working for was is usually going to be willing to work with you. Obviously, they have their own timelines as well, but just be open and honest about it. And, uh, you know, take take all of the opportunities that you have. Yeah, because their experience is is going to be very similar. They themselves, having gone through probably the same system where they had several schools, they were courting several schools before they got uh, the job offer, and and perhaps they themselves were going through that. So they, the nice thing is, the admin are are on our side as well because they they themselves may have gone through it. I had a client that was. Um, that even had an offer and uh, she was very open and said, I have another school and I'm just uh, finishing up my process of applying with them uh, interviews and what have you. Can you give me a few days? And that school said, yes. She went back to the other school and said, I have an offer. So she was very transparent in both situations and has ultimately signed with one of them. So I'm very excited. She's off to her first international posting uh, in August. But I, I always advised her, be very uh, ob, like transparent in the process and they will respect you for that. And, and you won't burn any bridges that way because that other school appreciated her honesty. And I'm sure down the road, if that admin moves to another place, they will likely give her an offer at that future school, you know, because it's sometimes not just the school fit. It's also an admin fit. You know, sometimes they even ask you, right? When they're making you an offer, they'll be like, well, are you waiting on other offers right now? Or do you have anything that you're, that's on the table? And it, they, a lot of times they'll give you an opening to, to come, to come forward with, with your situation. Absolutely. Yeah. 
you, you can't go wrong if that's if that's your mindset in there. All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at the itpexpat.com. That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Or if you're into Facebook, we have a new Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash ITP expat, where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITP expat. You can also find us on Instagram at ITP expats. That's with an S ITP expats is our handle. All right. And thank you, listeners. We have over a hundred countries represented by our listeners. And though we're not monetized, we are here for you. And we would like to thank all of you for listening. So let's get back to the show. Hey, you know what? Uh, Seeing Greg hit the party a little bit early over there makes me, (laughs) this is by way of transition. I I don't know if we've exhausted the, uh, the 2020 Three twenty twenty four or mid recruiting season, but uh, would you guys like to talk about New Year's parties for a few minutes? What do you think? Is yeah, this a, is this a good time, JP Mint? What do you want to do? Do you want to tell us your best, your favorite, your most unique? What uh, what what uh, what do you have to say about New Year's celebrations around the world? Well, I want to put a plug out there for international teaching, the best kept secret in education. Because it allows us or wherever you find your finer books, Gregory Lemoyne, MA. Because it allows us to do these very unique, um, it allows us for some unique opportunities in New Year's Eve celebrations, some local celebrations. Um, so I'm looking at my list and I remember my mom reminded me uh, when we were in Chiang Mai, Thailand on New Year's Eve, we lit paper lanterns uh, and there were huge paper lanterns not just these tiny little things so four or five people had to hold them you're lighting the fire and then you release it and you were watching all these paper lanterns and there were only a few foreigners there it was mostly locals and that was a celebration that I would never have had the opportunity to even share with my family my parents if I didn't uh, if I wasn't overseas teaching but I, w- I have to say the most unique New Year's Eve celebration I've ever been part of, I was slated to go to Tokyo, Japan for Christmas and New Year's, knowing that ahead of time, because oftentimes, you know, we're looking for better flights and, and hotel reservations. So we plan this out a few months in advance. And I was lucky to have a Japanese Korean friend on the ground. And she said, hey, have you ever thought of being part of the Fox Parade? And I was like, what's that? And so I went and did some research. And I was one of maybe 150 people with my friend's daughter. I I traveled with a teenage daughter to introduce her to international living. And so we were, I don't know, number six and number seven on the 150 list. We bought kimonos, uh, so used kimonos actually in Japan are very affordable. So we bought kimonos for the for the deal, and we got there at eleven thirty at night, and we paraded from one temple to another, 
And I thought, okay, you know, there might be a few people on the side of the streets kind of like cheering or, or watching us as we walked with lanterns and fit fox masks. But there were thousands of people lined up on the streets. I was so... Uh, I was so blown away by the the fact that I felt so famous and yet I was very nondescript or, or, or anonymous because I was one of, one of 150 people walking through the streets of Tokyo, uh, making our way from one temple to another at midnight. So that hands down was the most unique New Year's Eve I've ever had. OG, what about you guys? Is that the OG Inari Jinja Shrine Fox Parade? Correct, sir. Yes. And it was so much fun. And I I, want to say that, of course, my kimono was mint. (laughs) It was a mint colored (laughs) that I still own a mint colored, uh, a mint colored kimono. And then I bought the masks uh, on Taobao because I was coming from China at the time. So I bought fox masks on Taobao, brought them with me in my luggage so that I wouldn't pay the, I don't know, thousands of yen or hundreds of yen that they were costing in Japan. I got the knockoffs in China. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? New Year's, uh, New Year's celebrations from around the world? So I, I'm the fuddy-duddy of this group. I absolutely hate New Year's. Absolutely oh, really? hate it. Oh, God. Yeah. It is one of the, in my opinion, one of the most overrated evenings of the year so plus perhaps you've uh, never been to the fox parade uh obviously i would have fun at the fox parade no um (laughs) i've been in baby jail for better part of the last decade so that means ordering pizza drooling on myself by 9 15 and and going to bed well before midnight so which pretty much uh, describes matt in college too but that's okay well yeah yeah (laughs) So I'm sorry, I'm no fun on this one. I, mine are my New Year's Eves are very tame compared to all of you uh, single single fun people. So I, I'd rather hear about your adventures. I'm not a New Year's fan at all. <laughs> Greg, the single guy, um, you're muted. Well, I'm the exact opposite. I guess what's happened <laughs> is I've had so many unique opportunities because my New Year's resolution when I left the United States to go teach overseas back in 2000 uh, is to wake up in a new country every year on New Year's Day. So I have basically fulfilled that resolution since I left. And uh, I think one of my favorite ones is one of my, one of my best friends um, named Joe back in the States in Green Bay. I had gone back for my parents' 50th anniversary back in like 2014. I was there in Green Bay and Joe said, Greg, have you ever been to Canada? And I'm like, no. <laughs> Matt, you want to intervene? <laughs> is this is this the car rental year? <laughs> <Is that> year? <laughs> so I had this rental car, which is tiny. This is I don't know one of the many rental car. I don't know which one you're talking about, Matt. But we Joe says to me, "Have you ever been to Canada?" And I was like, I thought I was going to leave before New Year's, but he said, "I've got an idea. We're going to Canada." So I had this shitty little car that was going to, we were going to drive it up to the UP and go to Sault Ste. Marie, I believe, and cross over and hang out with Canadians. And uh, it's just for like overnight. We call it the Sioux. S-O-O, the Sioux. Shout out to the Sioux. I've been on that bridge a hundred times because we used to go to Taco Bell in Michigan. This is a year of a lot of snow. And my little brother looks at me, he goes, you're an idiot. Why would you take like a little Toyota 
hatchback up to, <laughs> through, through Michigan and Wisconsin in the northern woods all the way up to, to Canada. He goes, take my truck. So we take this massive Chevy truck that Jason let us use, and we ended up having a great trip up there. Now, I'll give you one other hit. This You'll, you'll like this too, Matt. Talk about currency. Well, my daddy says, oh, you're going to Mich- you're going to, to Canada. Well, listen, I've got some Canadian currency. So I said, oh, dad, sure, we'll spend it. We're just going to drink on the hill. You know, we're going to go skiing the next morning. So my dad hands me a, a wad of bills. To make a long story short, we woke up in Canada the next morning. I don't even remember what we did that night. We were looking for live music or something. We couldn't find it. But the next day, New Year's Day, we sat at this little itty-bitty hill for skiing. Joe and I looked up. We're like, oh, boy, the whole thing is closed except for one run and one chairlift. So you go up and you have a choice of either going left or going right. So what we do is we went up and it was bitter cold. I mean, there's snow everywhere. It's bitter cold. We go up, we go left, we go back up, we go right. We go back in and we go into the 19th hole. We go into the ski lodge and we order Bloody Caesars, which is Canadian Bloody Marys. And I paid for it with a a bill. I mean, there's like two 18-year-olds and like a granny sitting at this bar. There's no one there. And the bartender and the bartender says, oh, oh, yeah, haven't seen one of these in your damn near two decades. Right. (laughs) My dad hadn't been to Canada in 20 years. So he had given me all these these Canucky bills, which were were worth something, I think. So they kept trying to. So I'm thinking there were one dollar and two dollar bills then because we've had coins for years. Five loons and five. Exactly. These are like five and tens. That, that they've gone through five or six different currency changes since then. And my dad was so proud to share this money he hasn't used with us, right? Okay. And he gives it to Joe and I, and we ended up drinking <laughs> all of it and buying everybody drinks at the bar because there's only four people. But we spent the entire day there drinking Bloody Caesars with Canadians that are like 18 years old, smoking cigarettes at the bottom of a hill. And we'd get up and go out skiing left or right and then come back in. <laughs> that was my New Year's. And not... By far one of the craziest, you know, it's who you're with. It's not what you're doing. So Joe and I have a great time hanging out together. He's a bit longtime friend. But uh, that's my one New Year's resolution uh, party that I share with you because I've had them all over the world. And I'm on, I'm the op- exact opposite of, of Judd. It's not the New Year's exactly I love. It's just the idea of a resolution. And I finally found one that I can fulfill. Kent, what about you? What are your New Year's around the world? I think I've told this story on the air before, but Athens, Greece, we were out watching a show and celebrated the New Year. It's 1.30 in the morning. We're we're tuckered out. We're ready to go home. That's when the old people in Greece go to celebrate. I mean, they're, they're just getting started. So we're walking out the exit. They're coming in. They got the cartons of cigarettes. They've got the bottles of JD. Old people in Greece apparently love JD because they just bring <laughs> it by the bottle and they sit down and their idea of no smoking is to hide it under the table. So <laughs> I don't actually know if there's any place that's not smoking, but they just start and they go all night. You know, no wonder why nothing's going on in Greece at six in the morning or seven in the morning or eight in the morning. Everyone's sleeping because they just got home. Uh, so we had an absolute lovely time. And uh, I think if I were going to do it again, I would stay just a bit, little bit later and join the old people's party on New Year's day actually <laughs> they saw you heading for the exit and they were like what are you doing young person 
turn around and it's come and join us. Absolutely amazing. I have so much, uh, so much uh, interest and respect for that. And I don't know. It was a bar. Were they worried that JD wouldn't be served at the bar? I'm not. That's still a bit of a mystery. Maybe they just had a BYOB. <laughs> Nice. Well, I'm reminded of another time when um, my parents and I were traveling to Prague. We were in Prague for New Year's and we had rented an Airbnb in um, in central Prague, but we decided to stay in for New Year's. I think we'd been out for dinner, so we'd had a nice fancy dinner, but then we weren't really into, it was a quite cold, so we weren't really into um, the parties and the, and the bar situation. So we went home to crack open the champagne and toast the new year. And unbeknownst to us, the neighbors started lighting fireworks on intersection of streets. So here I am hanging out the window, filming a firework going off about 50 feet away from my camera. Like this was the closest I've ever been, but I was, I did feel safe because I was in a building at least, but I, I just couldn't believe they, they picked the intersections of the streets because that was where sort of there was the most uh, land area and they were just setting off all these fireworks. And uh, so my mom reminded me of that story because I had forgotten about it as well, that, uh, that, that, that was a, a very unique New Year's to have fireworks just being lit so domestically, so close to us. I, I will mention that as an international teacher, don't be surprised to spend uh, the New Year on a plane. <laughs> just never knowing exactly what time it is or where you are. Well, is not what you're doing this year, Kent? It is. It is. We're heading into Paris in a few days. Uh, just a little quick getaway before we start the uh, the second term. Well, maybe I'll see you in the Dubai airport. I'm flying out on the first. I am waking up in the U.S. Unfortunately, again, I'm I'm getting close ah. to my resolution, like breaking it. But I am waking up on the first here with my parents in in uh, Naples, Florida. But I'm jumping on a plane later in the afternoon. I will be in Dubai, drinking heavily for about eight hours. Ah, we might. And we might be yep. anybody over. else yes, in Dubai, anybody else in Dubai on the first, I'll be in the hard rock cafe for, <laughs> I, I think it's like a 16 hour layover, which I purposely, well, I purposely do the layover on the way back to the wow. desert so that I can, uh, you know, imbibe. Exactly. They, the bartenders know me. <laughs> I think this is going to have a little. This is going to have a little E next to the episode well, not, this one as yeah. well. We haven't reached that part <laughs> yet, have we? Explicit. <laughs> I well, you you made one. You made James's uh, episode explicit. I don't know. Did I really? Wow. <laughs> well, happy New Year's to all of our <laughs> listeners out there because we are going to publish this uh, right around New Year's. Yeah, Feliz Navidad, all that kind of stuff. Uh, in German, they call it Sylvester. Did you guys know that the German language they call the New Year's is called Sylvester? I don't know why, um, but I know there's different names for New Year's all over the world. Feliz Año Nuevo. Hey, I've got a snippet. I know we've been going all over the map, but I do have a snippet uh, to ask all three of you. We'll just go around the just go around the table. A snippet. I have a snippet. My snippet is this. Um, you know, I read. Greg's new book, his second book, International Teaching, 
The Best Kept Secret in Education by Gregory Lemoyne, M-A, www.amazon.com or wherever you buy your finer books. Now, I read in his book, he has a little section about social media. And uh, JP Mint, you recently put out your newest blog where you talked a little bit about social media. And Matt, you're in leadership and training, and I bet you $100 that you have a LinkedIn account. Here's my question. If I'm a teacher, I'm looking to go to a job fair, I'm looking to get my name, I'm looking to get out there, do I want a LinkedIn account? Do I want to I, I do I want to open one up? Do I want to make it active? Do I want to use it? What do you all think? Absolutely. In fact, if you're not leveraging LinkedIn and your ability to expand your network, Ditto. You're missing out big time. Yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn. I always uh, say LinkedIn is the face, the professional Facebook, uh, in the sense that it, you grow your network, you can add people quite e- easily. Um, people are very flexible about sharing and connecting on LinkedIn because they share professional documents or um, articles that are interesting to them, and there's a lot of schools on LinkedIn. And you can end up uh, following schools that you're interested in in the future to be hired at. And they will sometimes post. Uh, So just this morning, I was seeing a post of a German school, a German international school, and it was thanks to their LinkedIn. So if you're not on LinkedIn, I'm always very, uh, I always recommend to my clients to get on LinkedIn to update their job list, you know, and, and it's a place no, it's a place to put your skills out here's there what, and to say, you know, you're available, open to I network. I want to ask the, the, the group, the, the mind hive, the hive mind here in Central America, wherever we are, uh, is it too much information? I got my resume up there. I got my training. I've got my professional life on display. Do I need to, should I be concerned about that being out there online or is that mostly just working to my advantage? I think it's a good question. It's making us all think. It really is. Matt, what do you, go ahead. I, uh, I'm all for it and I'm creating a, an opportunity to showcase and what you can do. Um, if you look at, you know, I'm always of, I guess I'm at the point with LinkedIn now where I'm like, okay, how can I demonstrate the value that I can create for an organization? You know, what would that look like? So I don't see that as too much information. I see that as a way to highlight, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I can do. And what you're doing is you're expanding your brand, your own personal professional brand and your global reach by doing that. So I'm of the sound mind. There's the the options are innumerable and you should do whatever you can to make yourself stand out so that prospective employers can see the true quality that you bring. And, and that sells itself right there. Now, a lot of the times, in my opinion, if you're a heavy LinkedIn user, you reach out to people, well, they're going to check your LinkedIn before they bother checking anything else. That's kind of the way the game has progressed now. Even from the the sports realm, I've been seeing that as well. When I reach out to people before they contact me, I see, oh, they were checking my profile out first. And, you know, you can see who's interested in talking and who isn't just based on that. So definitely get your get your pro- get your product in there. The value you create, show what you can do. And I'm always happy to make new connections uh, when people reach out to me. So my LinkedIn is my personal name, but it's it's strictly professional. So Jacqueline Malay, uh, people reach out to me. I will 
as, as Matt has said, I will look at someone's profile and kind of see, you know, we have some similar uh, connections. We have uh, people in common and I like what they have to post and I want to kind of follow what they're putting out there on LinkedIn. So I'll make uh, either a follow or a connection. And then uh, sometimes that also comes back to me um, through a new connection and we don't know each other in real life, but we can now see each other's posts and and learn a lot from from people's uh, what people are sharing. Uh, is your is your question about having too much information out there? Is that more of a security issue? Like you're sharing your personal information online? Is that more what it was? Yeah. What if I say, you know, this is where I went to high school. This is when I graduated. This is when I went to college. This is where I went to college. This is what uh, my major was. This is my first job, my second job, my third job. This is my name. This is my number. This is my city. I mean, is that okay? Am I, I mean, is that everything I put on a resume? Is that fair game for me to put up on LinkedIn? I think it's professional. I think it's professional information that gets out there. You're not you're not sharing your home address. I don't I don't share my phone number, but I share, you know, how they can access, the how they can get in contact with me and then I mean, they can always connect through LinkedIn with the the messaging as well. But I feel like anything that you put on your CV professionally, you can also share on LinkedIn and it's it's like a it's like a live document that way. What do you think, Greg? I think from from the security analyst type of thought is that it's not always safe to put everything online. So you need to put whatever you feel safe putting online. It, you need to make that decision professionally for yourself, right? I, I have most of my information online. My CV is all online, everything, and someone could get into my identity. And, and there's there's a big scare about that, right? But I've chosen to do that for my professional life my business life, I want to have it out there. It's up to the individual, Kent. And we might have to have a whole episode on privacy. <laughs> well, I was going to say, for example, you don't need to post your resume on there simply because, I mean, that's the format of the website itself. And so if if you're putting too much information on there, that's because you're, you're voluntarily doing that. So, um, and you're right, Greg, there's there's a whole episode here to be done about, you know, digital footprint and what prospective employers are going to see when they Google you. Uh, you'd be surprised what people can find. And so maybe that's something we need to discuss as well um, for future episodes. I think that my answer to your question is put as as much as you'd like on there to at least be on there. You need to have a, a social presence, a professional presence on LinkedIn with some of the things, especially with the job that you have and what job you're looking for. I think it's a very important uh, recruiting tool to have at least access because you're opening yourself up to a wide world. There's lots of groups on LinkedIn also, I believe, that you can reach out to that they might come looking for you, but you can also go looking for them. And that way you can find like-minded people that are doing international education. So make your decision how much you want to share, but you need to have a presence on LinkedIn that's professional and linked to you as an individual, not with a school or any other business. Just you on there is what needs to be done. Do you agree, JP? Yeah, and I would I would go in even further 
the one of the best ways to increase your network. Do you know how many times we've all gone to those professional development sessions or we've gone to a conference and we've we've just hit it off with people we've we've met at the round table? Where do you add them? You don't want to add them on your Facebook. I don't personally because that's that's too personal, but I want to I want to keep track of them. I don't want to lose that connection. LinkedIn is perfect for that because then you can kind of follow their trajectory or their their trip through the international circuit. And at some point, you never know when your paths will cross again. Um, I had a job, I had a job interview and ultimately offer thanks to a connection I made in professional development. Now, back then, LinkedIn wasn't that big. So if I'd had LinkedIn, it would have been made it even easier to add all those people. So I've since done that. I've gone back through my participation uh, sheets, you know, the, the contact sheets and added a lot of people that I found on LinkedIn, but I'm still surprised by the number of people that aren't on LinkedIn, because I feel like that's a missed opportunity to grow your network. All right. I will keep, I will open my account, revive it, update it. And I will, use I'll it. even be one of your friends on there. And I'll be a friend if us. you want. Yeah. You need to pay me. Yeah. We'll see. We'll, 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 we'll see. Whoa. How <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I look forward to having you in my network. All right, Kent, you mentioned social media and you mentioned other resources. I want to bring up one thing that came from a listener. Uh, Charlotte is one of our listeners. And I know that JP, shout out to Charlotte. JP and shout I have both uh, talked to her a little bit on email. And I thought I'd throw this out there for you because all four of us are seasoned in international. There is a resource out there called ISR, the International School Review. And it's been around since, I believe, 2002, this because Charlotte says that she's read it a lot and she goes to it as a main resource, but it's very negative. She's a teacher in the United States with her husband. They've both been there for 22 years teaching in the States. They're looking at ISR as a resource of other resources to look at international school. What are your thoughts on ISR? Good question. Yeah, I'll start us off. You know, I'm all for every resource that can help you be a better, smarter international teacher, particularly when you're looking for a job. You know, if I would choose to have a, a place that had a little bit less complaints and negativity, but this is what, what what's out there. And until we have something that's, you know, reaches as many people as ISR does, uh, until we have that, you know, a, a forum where teachers can easily ask and answer questions with each other. ISR is popular and it is on the negative side of things, but I, I've used it every time I've gone to look for important and helpful information about international. I would have to say it's, it's just like anything. It's a, in an assessment, you wouldn't just use one assessment to judge everything. It's a piece of information and it's a piece of the puzzle. Um, we actually brought up ISR um, reviews at one of our job interviews and the, uh, the, the school head was caught a little off guard, but expressed their, um, thanks for us having done our homework and they gave us the low down. They were open and they were transparent. Any school again, that's worth working for, isn't going to manipulate or try to hide things. And it's there. I mean, and if you don't want those things published, Obviously, there, there's things you can do when you take care of your employees. So, 
you obviously want to safeguard yourself. And then there's some people that get on there who have an axe to grind as well. And you have to take that into account too. Um, I, I've made sure that I've gone in and left realistic reviews for the experiences that I've had, positive or bad, um, just to uh, you know balance that picture out. But like anything, as you said, can't take it with a grain of salt. It's a piece of information. Use it or don't. Yeah, and I think Greg, you would understand as well. Being a long-term member, I've I've been a member since they started twenty-one years. I think they just uh, sent their anniversary email. Um, you start to learn how to read these reviews, and f- what I primarily use it for is I look for patterns. If I see a pattern of negative reviews over the course of, say, 10, 12 years, and those negative reviews sound the same, then I know there is a problem, uh, generally speaking, with either the admin, if that's the case. But that's usually it's something more than that, because admin will move and change in 10 or 12 years. But if you see some systematic systematic, um, issues with a school over a period of 10, 15 years, that's usually a big red flag for me. But if I just see, you know, a couple, like a blip, if I see a very generally positive bunch of reviews and then a little blip, I might think, okay, that's an admin issue. Has the admin changed? And if they have, then they may have solved or corrected that, that problem. But I primarily go into ISR to look for patterns, those patterns, and see, as as Matt has said, is it somebody with an axe to grind? Is it one person affecting the whole, you know, all the other reviews? I I will read through that and see it for what it is. Uh, I will add on before, Greg, you get your two cents. In my experience, the people that are on there, love them, hate them, agree, disagree, they are real international teachers sharing their their lived experience. That's that's uh, one of the draws, I think. And I've known many people who have posted and asked questions, and even people who maybe, I don't know, maybe you feel like, well, this person attacks other people or something like that. I've seen them give absolutely. Yeah, I guess I, I appreciate all three of you saying all of that because I I chime in right with you guys. Uh, it's it's one of an uh, a toolbox of resources. In fact, and I'm just going to plug it now. I'll get you started. Kent wants to talk about my new book, but I wanted to start and segue with it because at the very end of the most updated ebook that I wrote, it has a, a list of probably about a hundred different websites that you can go. I don't know if it's a hundred, maybe it's too much, maybe, maybe 50 websites that you can go to, to start building up your toolbox for international teaching. And I've wanted to do that for years and the joy of doing it with Kindle Direct Publishing is I can update that whenever I want to. So I can add another 10 websites as they come along, right? We've had other listeners, we've had other resources on, and I've tried to include all of those uh, from our guests into those resources for other teachers. So I appreciate you guys all chiming in about ISR. It's very bottom on my list because I have a very nasty taste in my mouth about it because it's negative. I'm not a big negative person. But I have been a member of that website since the inception. So I keep paying them. Whether or not I like them, I still pay them because I think all information that you can get is important and take it with a grain of salt and compare it with the rest of the stuff too. So we all agree on that. Greg, have you checked out International School Community? 
Um, because I think that they, I think they have, uh, I, a, a better take on sort of what's it like at the school. They have their comments are f- sort of filterable and I feel generally it's a lot more positive there. Absolutely. He's been on our show before too. An international school community is a fantastic resource. It's is more positive. It's not as long standing as ISR. On the other hand, it's new, it's fresh, right? And we also have a couple other ones. Like I said, there's a long list in the back of that book that I wrote because I could talk for a whole episode about nomadic teacher, right? About ISC and a lot of other things, even GRC as a, you know, there are lots of good things out there. Educators going global have also gone into the realm of getting comments and getting uh, school school reviews on their website. Uh, they just recently told me about that. Yeah. Love David and Audrey. Yep. Shout out to those guys from the IATP crowd. <laughs> Why don't we go? Do you guys want to go ahead and wrap this one up? And then, uh, or do you want to keep talking? Let's wrap it up. Let's, let's just do this, Matt. Can you, all right. And then we'll pick up the book next time. Is that okay? Okay. So let and me I'll close read it out. in between. Yeah. So well, Greg. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> and I am the contaminator. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is Kent the Cat Guy saying thank you for joining us on behalf of Matt the Family Guy, who you could find on LinkedIn. On behalf of JP Mint, you could find her at JP Mint Consulting. Read all about her 10 top tips for CV writing. It's on her blog now. And you can find Greg in Central America. And you could find his latest book, <laughs> International teaching the best kept secret <laughs> education gregory lemoyne ma www.amazon.com i am cat the cat guy and we will see you next time bye-bye Bye, everyone <laughs> love you all happy new year <laughs> when you say his book title it's like you've memorized a phrase in a foreign language and you're trying to get it right <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Good night, guys. Thanks, buddy. See you later. Night, Matt. Oh, Kent was the first one out of here. Oh, my God.